Good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point. Today is December the 28th and uh, we're getting ready to close out 2020 as uh, we get ready around the corner into a brand new year. And not only are we closing out 2020, but we will be closing out here at Rosa Sharon Baptist, our sermon series, Echoes from Exile. And we've been looking at the minor prophets um, all throughout this sermon series, not, not specifically just looking at the minor prophets as to what they said to Israel and Judah in the days in which they were prophesying, but also what these minor prophets and the messages they were, they were proclaiming, had, uh, what relevance does it have for us today, um, especially in such a turbulent, troublesome year as we've had, as many have had in 2020. So um, I'm here. I'm Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm the associate pastor here at Rosa Sharon. I'm joined today with my good friends and brothers in Christ, Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor, and our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy. And uh, once again, we're without Blake, our children's pastor, but I think he'll be joining us next week. So um, we miss you, Blake. All right. (laughs) Let's go ahead and jump in to our discussion today. Today we are talking about uh, the sermon that you preached yesterday, Jeremiah, from Malachi. And I believe the title of the message was uh, an Old Testament pattern and a New Testament solution, which I really like. Um, Malachi, I can uh, summarize this one really briefly. Um, again, this comes from a time, <clears throat> Malachi comes from a time uh, after the exile. So this is after the the people of Israel and Judah have been gone have gone into exile. They've returned. They've attempted to rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem, and initially they make all these promises to God. They make all these covenant. They try to renew their covenant with God, renew, and they're they're looking for God just to bring the bring Jerusalem to power. Right? We're going to build this temple. We're going to be uh, we're honored God, and God's going to bring a, a messianic king. And he's going to draw all nations to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is going to be king of the hill, right? And that's what's going to happen. Only they go right back to the same patterns. This is Malachi is a hundred years after the return from the exile, so we've got a good amount of time left for uh, for things to to occur. And Israel's gone right. Israel, the Israelites have gone right back to the same patterns of corruption and injustice, and that's led that led them to exile to begin with, and so God sends Malachi. And Jeremiah, you mentioned this yesterday. This will be the last words that God speaks to his people for 400 years until the coming of Jesus Christ. And so um, this is God's sort of final word to his people. And um, I, if you go through Malachi, the thing that will stand out to you are all these sort of back and forth questions. God, um, God says, I still love you. And is, the Israelites say, how have you shown us that you love us? And then God explains, well, I've loved you better than I, you know, I've, I've shown you love and, and favor over Esau. Um, I've, I've set you up. God says, you despise me. You defile my temple. And they're like, how are we, how are we doing that? We've got, how, how are we despising you? And God's like, you're sending me, you know, you're lame and you're sick animals for sacrifices. Like, what does that say about me and my name? God says, you've turned against me. You've turned against your wives. You're marrying off, you're marrying these, these foreign, these, these foreign women who are leading you to worship foreign gods. And they're like, what? How, how, how have we, how have we turned against you, God? And he's, he's like, well, you're, you're participating in idolatry. You're, 
You're not honoring marriage. You're, you're doing all the things that I've told you not to do. And then he says, they're like, well, okay, God, you've neglected us. Where, where's the justice that you promised? And God says, at that point, God tells them, and we find this in chapter 2, God says, I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way. And I love this. He says, and then I will appear to you myself, right? He says, I'm going to appear. I'm going to judge. And when I judge, I'm going to judge with a purifying fire. I'm going to, I'm going to purify my people. And he says, it's not too late. You follow these same patterns, like you said, the Old Testament pattern, right? You follow the same patterns as all the people before you, but turn to me, return to me, Israel, and I'll turn to you. And they're like, well, how do we turn? How do we do that? And he says, well, you can start off by giving. Go back to, to supporting the temple. The temple's in disarray. You're not, you're not even interested in me right now or in the things that I, 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 I'm doing for you. And they're like, well, and, and he says, and then finally he says to them, or he, they say to them, well, God, it's pointless to serve you because serving you doesn't do us any good. We see the wicked prospering more than we're prospering. When we're faithful to you, it, 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 we don't get any better than the wicked get. And then God, um, God sort of says to them at that point, before he starts to talk about the messianic coming, right? He, he says that there's going to be those who are faithful to me. There'll, all, there'll be those who are faithful, and they'll speak to one another about the things that I've, that I've done and the things that I've said. Um, they'll look back to the past, and they'll, they'll look at the promises I have for the future, basically, is what he's saying here. And these, these faithful remnant, <clears throat> there needs to be a, a scroll of remembrance. For, you know, there'll be a scroll of remembrance. Um, and, and so they'll, they'll, they'll focus on, and, and in some ways it's like God saying to them, um, it, you're saying it's pointless to serve me. It's pointless to be faithful to me because you're looking at how the wicked are prospering, but just look at how faithful I've been to you. Well, look at how faithful I've been to you. And how faithful I am going to be to you. And he reiterates his promise to make things, I'm going to make things right. You know, and I, I think back to Habakkuk, Jeremiah, where, where Habakkuk was, answer, was asking these same sorts of questions, right? Where, how long, oh God? How long is this going to go on? And, and God again and again says, just be faithful to me. Trust me. Trust my promises. I'm going to make things right. And, and in the end, the last thing that he says to them after he kind of goes back and he talk, reiterates this promise of the coming day of the Lord, coming day of judgment, the last thing that he says to them is, um, and uh, the Bible Project did a really good job of highlighting this, is that um, he, he, he talks about Moses and the law, and he talks about Elijah as a prophet. So he's saying the law and the prophets. And who else do we know who talks about the law and the prophets and who is going to be the fulfillment of the law and the prophets? Well, it's going to be Jesus Christ. And so in some ways, the last word spoken by God to his people is sort of a final warning or a final uh, way of saying, you know, point, a final point, a signpost in the road to point people to wait for Jesus. And that's sort of Malachi in a nutshell. Um, and so it's a it's a great book. I like what you said yesterday um, about how Malachi, in many ways, it's a short book, but it sums up just about everything that we've said in this sermon series, right? Like it 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 highlights the 
pattern of sin and corruption and injustice, and it highlights God's promise to be faithful and true, um, and it highlights that whole idea of even though you might not see it right now, God is going to make things right, and He has done so through His Son Jesus Christ, and He will do so at the at the return of Jesus. So, um, I think this book, fellas, is it, it is it's a it's a good sort of bookend, I guess, for our our sermon series. Uh, what do you think, Jake? Yeah, because, you know, the whole thing, uh, we began with the Israelites and the warning against them and that they were going to be carried off. And so Judah's watching all this, but it's also a warning to them. And then now the same thing happens to Judah. So they go off in exile. Now they return. And what happens? They go back to the same pattern. Yeah. So it's almost like, did all this that just happened to you as a nation make any difference? And so now we see ourselves... You know, we as Christians, if you live long enough, you know, I'm 62, so I've seen, like, presidents assassinated. I've seen Vietnam War. I've seen, um, you know, 9-11. So you see all these things happen. Now we have this pandemic, and you think, okay, this is going to be the thing that's going to get everybody right. And then Mm -hmm. for a time, people get right. They turn to God. They get their priorities together. And then all of a sudden, you're back to square one again. And even in Jesus' time, even though a messenger's coming... When he shows up on the scene, guess what? Things really haven't changed. They're, yeah. they're still doing their their deal where they have the the people in the, the the court of the Gentiles taking advantage of people and the money exchange and with the taking the good sheep they're bringing. So no, nah, that's not good enough. And they, they 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 keep the good one and they say you need to offer this one. So so even though things have changed, nothing's really changed. Yeah. And so it, it helps us not to be so judgmental. Mm. against people but mm-hmm. at the same time helps us take inventory of our own lives and saying you know how can how can I really uh, return to the Lord yeah you know how do, how do we really return to the Lord because like Jeremiah said he hasn't left us so how do we then get back to where we need to be in a way that it's just about that relationship with him not about something I could get or something I have to offer but just returning back to where I need to be yeah, yeah. That that whole question of how do I how do I turn back to the Lord is sort of um, it's it's very uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very um, indicative, sort of 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 most of this book. The thing that kind of pops up to me, Jay, um, when I'm looking when I'm looking at this is um, the number of times that Israel in this book is saying, well, how have we done this? Or how do we do this? Or you're, you're making all these accusations against this guy. How have we, how have we harmed you? It's almost like they're ignorant. Mm-hmm. They're totally ignorant of what, they've, of what they're doing. Like how do we get to a point, or how does a people get to a point where they're that ignorant over, over the things that they've done wrong, right? Yeah, I think... They have a maybe a decent excuse for why they're ignorant, and that's uh, they've just well not just went through exile, but they're sort of fresh out of exile. And but right, but even when they go to Ezra, when you go to Ezra and Nehemiah, yeah. they find the book of the law. Mm-hmm. They read the book of the law. You know, like with Jot, when you go to Judges, right? You can go, okay, well, I can excuse what happened there because Joshua's. The descendants of Joshua and Caleb didn't do a very good job of, of proclaiming God and keeping 
keeping the word fresh. And it literally says that they had forgotten mm -hmm. everything about God, which is just a horrible indictment. But here it seems as though in Ezra, I mean, it's been a hundred years since, since they returned to exile. So it's not been like an entire generation hasn't passed away. And yet they seem ignorant. And this is after what's, uh, I, and I can't remember how long it takes them to rebuild the wall and the temple, but it doesn't seem like it's a real long time. And they found the book of the law. They've read the book of the law in the hearing of the people. The, the people have made this, they've sworn this allegiance. How can they get to the point where they really feel like we've, what, what have we done wrong? Yeah. Um, so one thing I didn't talk about yesterday that's pretty prominent in Malachi is, is the beginning of chapter 2, or really just all of chapter 2. But God actually blames mm -hmm. the priests because mm -hmm. the priests are the ones who were responsible for the teaching of the people. Yeah, that's a good point. And so what happens is when they bring the, the sacrifices to the priest, the priests were supposed to be ones that said, no, that's, that's not in accordance with God's law. But what's happening is, is not only are the people bringing the wrong sacrifices, the priests are saying, ah, oh, it's fine. That's good. We'll, we'll take it. It's, it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and so God actually says some very hard, I didn't get to it yesterday, but some very harsh things to the priests yeah. and to the people. And I think God's just trying to show you can't be ignorant on this. You can act ignorant, but I know you know better. It's just your heart is not in that right attitude of worship. Mm. You'd rather just do the check marks, do the minimum, uh, and, and not actually uh, worship me with a pure heart. Yeah, Jeff, as a pastor, you read the you read that indictment against the priest, and man, that brings some gravitas to what we do, right? Mm -hmm. When you recognize and realize that, and, and I don't know, we're not priests necessarily. Well, we are in in terms of priesthood of the believers, but but what the three of us do, or the four of us, like two, but what we're charged with doing is we're charged with um, the, the right application and the right understanding uh, and proclaiming the right application and proclaiming the right understanding of God's Word and God's liturgy and the liturgy of God, right? And the, the things of God. It's, it's on us to do that. And, and it's clear here if we're not doing our job correctly, you know, we can lead people down the wrong way, right? I mean, um, and, and, and while everybody has access to God's Word, and, and it maybe at this time they, they didn't have that necessarily here, but nevertheless, I think about, and I, I'm not mentioning any, any specifics here, but I think about all the, the pastors and the, the ministers who have been responsible for misleading people and miss you know and, and leading people to believe things about God's word that's just simply not true and um it's a great responsibility is it not yeah and so so often we kind of get up we, we we find ourselves getting caught up in the whole um the whole structure of serving God in other mm -hmm. words we have a church we have a building we have maintenance we have people we have issues we have so we we get caught up in doing all the trappings mm -hmm. of being a pastor and we find ourselves sometimes needing a pastor ourselves mm. and it's so easy to you know put on the the priestly robes and put on the the face and you know get up and, and do your thing and 
be be uh, at the same time needing help yourself. Yeah, you know. And so I think for us, we have to be as totally honest as we can, and as vulnerable as we can, and to to make sure that that we're spending time like you were talking about earlier about spending time in God's Word and things right. like that, so that God will speak to us. And then for us then to be able to speak to the people, we have to have that going on. Yeah, and, and you know, to, to that point, I I think the real danger is is in doing what these guys were doing, which is excusing sin. Yeah, I mean, so they had the temple. They had the sacrifices. Like Jeremiah said, maybe they were just okay that people were bringing it. Uh, they had the God. They didn't have the, 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 the king yet. Mm-hmm. But they had their place, they had their position, they had their power, and you know they divorced their wives and married foreign gods, and so as to keep everybody happy and peaceful, well, we need to kind of give some stuff to that god too. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they were making deals, like the pagans would do, like okay, we've conquered all these nations, so now we want to build all these temples to what? Like when Paul shows up and sees all these gods that they built and then right. the, well in case we leave one out here's the unknown one right yeah so so they fall into the same trap too and we fall into the same trap yeah yeah we, we get caught up in the structure of what we're doing I, I guess um i think paul might even say we have a form of godliness mm-hmm. but denying the power thereof and so mm-hmm. it's easy to do that. i mean it's it's so easy to do that right it just becomes a job a career um, you know the the machine has to be awed and and, and, and because and because of the way the machine is set up, I think what what can happen sometimes is we get pressured by the machine, mm-hmm. uh, and by the machine I mean like the people and just sort of the structure to say, well I know what God's word says here, but if I say what God's word says. The people aren't going to like me, right? And they may leave. Or they, they may, may leave. Giving. I may lose my job. I may lose my stuff. They'll, you know, they'll they'll stop tithing. Right. All so that stuff. so then, the temptation as as, and I'm not saying this is with us, but I'm right. just saying, in the pastorate as a whole, the temptation then is because there's so much reliance on the machine of the church, um, and the mechanism of the church. It's very easy. I can see Jeremiah how modern day pastors because of the pressure of trying to please people can compromise the truth of God's word and wink at sin, right? Close their eyes at sin and say, well, what you're doing there is not really okay, but I think we can let it pass, right? And the next thing you know, you've got, you've got, you've got heresy being you know, proclaimed in churches and you know, you see that right now. I mean, there there are churches, um, and I don't have to get into specifics. We know what they are, but there are churches that are um, that are kind of splitting off from one another because of a certain belief on on what 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 constitutes marriage, what whether abortion is okay or not. I mean, things that I would seem to think that the Bible's pretty clear on in what it says, and yet um, we're seeing people go well. Maybe we maybe we're reading it wrong, or maybe it's okay for you to have an abortion in this case because um, you know God God wants you to protect your career. God wants you to be happy. Like you know what I'm saying, Jeremiah? Yep. And and to me, isn't that kind of like what these priests were doing at the time? Yeah, I think 
I think they just over over time, right? We we're gonna lapse here. We're gonna lapse on this rule because there's some gray area there, right? Right. And then over time, if you continue in that pattern of lapsing on on the rules, uh, then over time, that's what you get to. It, it basically becomes a new rule or at least new practice of the rule, right? right? Um, and so these the priests they were they were supposed to uh, be the ones who uh, protected that rule. And to be fair to them, it's difficult, right? Because my whole point yesterday is that the Israelites weren't bringing their best. Well, the gray area there is that my best might actually be a sick animal. Right. right? If it's my actually best. The problem is, is God knows their hearts. And so that if everyone is, is kind of dropping themselves to the the level of the poor or whatever mm-hmm. or or saying that no this is my best when everyone knows no that's not your best like I, I just saw you buy this and I just saw you do this for your child or whatever so I know that this what you're giving God is not your best right but there's gray area there because like the first fruits of my crops might not be anywhere close to the first fruits of your crops right, right? my first and my best so the that's why I'd say, you know, don't try to put a monetary number on anything. Just just say it, it's your first and your best that, that God wants. Yeah, and let's talk about that for a second. I, I want to get into that because I think that there can be some confusion, especially when we consider Malachi 3, um, 3.10, yeah. where he talks of where, where God Challenge. says... Bring the full 10% into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Jeff, so many pastors, again, getting back to misleading people, so many pastors have taken that verse, pulled it right out of Malachi, put it on plaques, put it on posters, wrote it on walls, um, you know, send it out on bulletins and stuff and send it out to, to people saying, this is how you get blessings from God. You test God. You test Him. You you see, you put a seed of faith out there. You put that faith seed and see if He won't open the storehouse of blessings. I mean, this is, this is sort of the quintessential prosperity gospel verse. Right, and the problem is, He's talking to the nation as a whole here, the group of people. Yeah. You bring, you test, you see, and we individualize it. Right. And so now I'm like, okay, this is my promise. And so uh, so I'm going to test God. And so then I should get something in return. And if I don't get something in return, then 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 there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, how do you judge what the return is? You know, there's always caveats where you have good health, your kids aren't in jail. You know, they, they can have numerous caveats. In right. There. So I don't think God meant that to be like a test case for us individually to write a check to him in order to get receive a benefit. Right. Uh, it was more of a, for the whole, the whole nation to say, look, we're all in this together. They're doing wrong. We're doing wrong. We're all doing wrong. Let's, let's come and... Let's trust God and see if God will then fulfill this promise that he's given us. Right. So um, so that's one way that it gets misused. And then the other way is putting people on a guilt trip with it. Mm-hmm. So let's say some there's a struggling single mom and 
she really doesn't have any money and she has to feed her kids. Yeah. But she's going to give her last hundred dollars or whatever mm-hmm. because the preacher just said, you know, you got to give this money and if you give this money, you're going to be blessed and all. Mm-hmm. And then the kids go home and they don't have any food. Right. Well, you know, maybe somebody does bring them some food or something, but it's still, it's in a negative way putting people on a guilt trip to get them to do something that maybe it would be better for that person just to give like a widow's mite, give something for their, just for to, to help them say, I can contribute in some way. That's when we give here at Rosa Sharon, we always tell people like, you know, everybody can give something, some can give more, some can give less, but give something and give give regularly. Then when you get in the habit of giving, as as God blesses, as God provides, then you may be able to increase that. Right. But, but don't do it in a way of uh, manipulating people or, or putting people on a guilt trip or making people expect that I'm going to get these big blessings. Right. So I think that's the big rub right there. Right. You know? So, Jeremiah, what would you say to someone who might push back against that and go, well, if it was good for the nation, why wouldn't it be good for the individual? Like, you know, there are laws that were, that our nation puts that puts to pl- in place, and it's it's meant for everyone universally. So if it's good for the nation, then it should be good for the individual as well. So why doesn't this work in the same way? Yeah, I mean, the pushback is, is simply in, in the question, right? Because this is all in the context of they ask, how do we return? And so really, in a sense, they're asking, like, how... How do we begin trusting you again? How do we get back on this this avenue of faith, right? And so he says, well, first thing you need to do is to trust me. Just trust me. Mm. Um, and so that's where the whole giving thing comes in. Because what happens practically in our lives, at least for me in the past, and maybe even currently, is rather than you know taking those first things and the best things, I make sure I pay all the you know this and this and this the, the essentials what we would call essentials I pay all those and if there's anything left that's what I give to God mm-hmm. and God's saying no why don't you start with me and then we'll prioritize our life so that the, that those essentials are getting paid mm-hmm. um, and I think well I think Jeff is right that this is not this is primarily to a group of people. I think it applies to the individual as well. Not that there's this, uh, I give so that I can be blessed, um, but that I trust that God is going to take care of me and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. How, so so then that brings up the further question then that I would put to you, which is this comes dangerously close to legalism. What, 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 and when I say legalism, I know you two understand what I'm saying for our listeners when I say legalism, I mean um, that the way that I earn God's favor, the way that I earn uh, forgiveness, or um, the way that I can be in right standing with God is by performing said actions, right? The set of actions. Something like, I do this. I follow these laws. I do the right things. I, I tithe. I give the very best that I have so that I can so that I can curry God's favor, so that I can get God's blessing. Because it sounds like this is an equation that God is setting up. You do this, uh, you know, you do this action, and in this case tithe, 
and, and give me your very best, and then I will do this. So this plus this will equal this, right? And so how do you how do you keep this? Like how do you you proclaim what you just said, which and I'm not saying it's wrong, but how do you do that without it leading to legalism? Yeah, that's why I think in the message we spent or I spent quite a bit of time talking about the heart of the giver. Because mm-hmm. if the heart of the giver and the motivation for the giving is anything reliant on what I'm doing or or what I'm giving or I'm just checking off boxes, uh, then that's legalism. But God here is not arguing that this for, like for a formula. He's just saying, I ask those questions a lot, like, am I worth it? And do you really trust me? Mm-hmm. Not to set up these... The system of, of you do this, this, and this, and then I'll, I'll bless you. And isn't that sort of what happens, though? I mean, we know that, that from this, um, over the course of the 400 years of silence, you're going to end up with a group of people who are literally going to make, make up laws just so that they don't fall back into these patterns and so that they can manage to do the word like, we're going to curry God's favor no matter what. So we're going to follow this formula to the T. So much so that we're going to add our own laws to keep to keep us in the fence of God's, of God's will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would add laws just to protect people. So, so they would make a rule to protect you from breaking the actual rule. Right. And so they just set up this system of, of rules to try to protect people from, from sinning. And the whole goal there is they, they just thought that if they didn't sin ever, they could reach heaven. And which is technically a, a true statement, sure. But then we, we also find out that that's impossible. Um, and, especially, and, and that their yoke was just too heavy. What they were asking of the people was first off impossible and very, very difficult to do. And it's easy to mo- uh, uh, manipulate people that way. You can create rules to manipulate people into doing what you want them to do. I think churches sometimes do that. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I mean again, not, not sitting on a certain indictment or anything, but I mean, I think that churches do that. And I think, I think there's a good number of people who stay away from churches because they feel like the church, with all their rules and regulations, is trying to manipulate people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. For me, growing up, legalism was a was a uh, pretty good motivator, right? Just behavior modification. That's what we do with our children. That's you do this so that you don't get punished, or so and, that you do get a cookie, or you do get a cookie, right? Right. That's, that's pretty much how raising children works. And I'm not saying that's... <laughs> Obviously, a, I got lots of cookies thing. for women yeah. being good. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So those things, <laughs> those things tend to be pretty good motivators um, until you get to a point where there's just something you don't want to do. And at that point, it's like, where's my motivation? Like, if there's no reward, or at least a reward I can see, and there's no punishment... What's my motivation for doing it at that point? Yeah. And so, and, and I think in this case, and, and even with tithing, and I know there's this test here and this kind of promise God gives, but even with tithing, there's no reward that you are going to see 
And there's also not going to be any punishment that you will find, at least that's clearly seen, if you don't do it. So then what is your motivation? Why give? Is that's it, a great question. Is it just out of legalism? Is it just because I was told by me or some other pastor to give? Or is, am I motivated by, by worship and, 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 and because God deserves it and I want to see his kingdom grow? You know, those types of things. Right. I, I can think back to, um, I remember I was sitting in a classroom, I guess in high school, Jeff, and, and our teacher was asking us questions about like what we wanted to do when we grew up and, and why, why do you want, you know, uh, what do you what do you want? And we're like, well, um, I, I want a, I want a good job, a good money. Why do you why do you want a good job, a good money? Well, I want a good job, a good money, so that I can have the things that I want. Uh, what what is it about? Why why do you want the things that you want? And we just kept trying to get further and further and further into the motive. What is the motive for for wanting these things? What is the motive for for doing these things? You can even do the same thing with okay, you see a you see a helpless little old lady. She's struggling with her groceries, um, trying to cross the street, and you decide to go over there to help her. Well, why are you doing that? And you're like, well, I'm doing it because um, because I, I I want to see I I, I want to be helpful. She's struggling, and okay, well, why do you want to be helpful? Um, well, I'm, I, it, it makes me feel good. And okay, so the motivation then for you actually helping that woman is that you, is is your own pleasure. And, and, and your own goodness, right? And so I think a lot of times, a lot of the things that we do, even, even in terms of in service to God, in worship, sometimes we do them for our own pleasure, for our own good. And it's really hard, Jeremiah, to get to what you were just talking about, that motive that we're just doing it for God's glory. God, because God is worth it. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, Um because everybody, you know, all of us want to feel good. We always, we all want to feel like we're contributing. We always, we all want to feel like, you know, because it makes you feel good. I mean, when you do something good, you see in results, or maybe you gave something. You see that, like when we give to the the shoebox thing, right? We first started doing it. It was all about instructions about what to put in and all that. And it's like okay, but but here lately in the past three or four years, there were actually people that benefited from the shoebox telling their story which changes everything about why you're doing it to begin with now i'm not you know used to be i was like do i need to put a yo-yo in there i was like you're, you're so caught up in what to do right. and what to put in there as opposed to the outcome of it so i mm -hmm. think that's kind of what god is trying to say here is the outcome of your giving if you give then i'm going to give you more so that you can give more and give more and give more because the whole economy was set up this way, the Levites didn't have any inheritance. Right. They only were they were able to live in all the different tribes in these cities. Somebody had to take care of them. So when the tithes actually came, ninety percent of the tithe actually went to the Levites and the people uh, to, to to do the temple, take care of the temple, mm. and then the that of that, the ten percent then took care of the temple mm. and the maintenance and all that. The rest paid for their salaries, fed their families, and also went into the the uh, the um, the widow's fund or the poor fund where they right. took care of the people, mm -hmm. so it was all it was all kind of all meshed together. And so he was trying to show them that if if you give, then you're going to be able to give 
and do more and see better better outcomes from your giving and everybody's taken care of so maybe the levites at this time um maybe they were bowing down to the guys with the bigger flocks and the bigger things and thinking okay even if they give us their second best we'll take it because they can give us twice as much as their leftovers as opposed to the, the small part we would get and then it's not helping anybody. It was just helping them, but still they were not getting the best. And then they were not able to help the poor and mm-hmm. the people that really needed it, especially all the wives that have been divorced and they don't have any means. Somebody's right. got to take care of them. Yeah. So um, so I think in our society today, like right now, the end of the year, everybody's like, we need money Will you give because they know you can write off a donation that's right or you can get your name on a plaque or you can get something mm-hmm. there's and all these you know multi multi-billionaires and all they all have their foundations all the athletes have foundations so so it's like they're giving all this stuff but but technically they're giving to get something out of it right all right so um so again for us and for my motivation then is that i'm going to give because now i can get a tax write-off then what we're really giving for the right reasons. Yeah. As opposed to saying, okay, if I give, like using that shoebox, I'm more interested in the outcome. Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in, you know, uh, you know, a kid at the Baptist Children's Home that comes to know Christ, mm-hmm. you know, and now they, they get a, they get a, they get their grades up and now they're going to go to college and they got a scholarship now. So I think that's what God is saying that the expansion of the giving is well beyond what we could ever imagine and think. Right. It may not be to me personally that I receive, but somebody's going to receive from that giving. Yeah, and I think I think overall, it, whether it's whether it was for them at that time in, in the days of Malachi, whether it's for us, I think the the difference is is are you going to be focused on the temporal or is your focus on the eternal, mm-hmm. right? Because it's it's very easy for us who live in 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 temporal days, right? Days that are are numbered and that in the here and the now, it's very easy for us to get focused on the right now and what I'm getting right now, Jeremiah. What I'm going to receive right now, and so then it, I do want to be motivated by my own pleasure, my own good, and those kinds of things. Whereas if I have an eternal perspective, if I'm looking at things that I'm doing with an eternal mindset, that life doesn't end at the grave, but there's more to come. There really is something else beyond this time, this here and now. At that point, then I'm giving to a shoebox. I'm giving to a shoebox. I'm giving to the church. I'm giving to those things. Not so much that I can get a benefit now but so that the eternal benefits are, are multiplied. The eternal things are multiplied. But what, what do I mean when I say that? Well, more people are, are, have, have an opportunity to turn to God. More people have an opportunity to hear the gospel, that they can receive joy, that, they can, that God's name can be glorified and be made famous among the nations. The, those kinds of things, right? So that not just in the here and now, but rather to have it. And I think that's what... To have that eternal perspective, and I think that's really what was going on with Malachi, the people during the days of Malachi too. They were so focused on, well, I don't want to give the very best I have because I need that right now. And God's like, well, trust me because there's more to come. There's a whole lot more than what you're looking at right now with your with your very narrow focus. 
And he even points them to the future. He points them to that day of judgment to come. He points them to the to the day in which you know he will um, he will exalt uh, you know his kingdom, and that he, a, a king will come, and that he'll come in he'll come himself. You know all that. So, well, we we're really running out of time here, but I, I do want to go. Like we, let's give three minutes here, and we should give way more than three minutes. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but I think Malachi, in the same way that that Zechariah did really brings us back to the solution, Jeremiah, which is Jesus. And how do you see Malachi point to Jesus? I'm just going to ask a real simple question so we can, because it is important we talk about this. Yeah, so it's in his name, right? right. Uh, his name is my messenger. And then in, in chapter 3, verse 1, is where that messenger shows up. It says, Behold, I'll send my mas- messenger, and he will prepare the way. Uh, and then the New Testament tells us that's John the Baptist. And literally, it's one of the, it's fact, in fact, depending on which book you read, it's the very next character in the story. Mm. The very next person who shows up is John the Baptist. Uh, that's a little bit confusing, sort of, because John the Baptist himself actually questions whether he was the Elijah that is to come, uh, which actually is a quote from uh, chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before me. So... Uh, there were some questions there, but getting past all of that, this 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 prophet Elijah or John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Jesus, and when Jesus comes, he's going to make all things right, right in it. And, and you mentioned it, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the coming in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, the Lord of hosts. All of that is chapter three. So again, the Malachi wants to point to the Messiah who's coming. He's coming to make this right, and and then he's going to separate the wicked from the righteous. Well, how do you be the righteous, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you be the righteous because you gave? Even if your motivation was somewhat pure? No, the righteous are those who have been purified by the fire. The righteous are those who have been credited righteousness by placing their faith and trust in this Messiah, trusting in the Messiah, and so He grants them righteousness to where their motives are then pure, and they can offer up true offerings and be uh, their offerings would then be pleasing to the Lord because those offerings were done in righteousness. They've been credited with righteousness. Uh, so yeah, the fire is going to destroy the wicked, but the fire is also going to be there as a comfort. and And it literally says, and I didn't say it yesterday. I wish I did that there that there's great hope and great joy. So much that you go leaping like calves mm. from the stall. I love that. Honestly, I don't know what that means, but it sounds happy to me. It sound, <laughs> sounds grand and joyous to me, right? I picture, I've never seen cows jump like that, but I've pictured goats jumping like that, right? Mm. It just looks happy and joyous, and mm. there's no burden there. They're not being burdened to the ground and, and you know got to strap up my bootstraps but the 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 yoke is easy the burden is light uh and they're they're just living in great joy right so for this final two minutes jeff i'm gonna i'm gonna throw to you um to basically tie a bow on uh this sermon series um as we close it out um oh I, i there's there's i know two minutes isn't enough time to really say say it but how do you think? What, what's your final thoughts on how all these minor prophets really apply to where we are right now? Well, the good thing about it was um, I was talking to uh, Aline's uh, brother. You know, he's a pastor, 
and I was explaining to him our our uh, sermon sermon series, and he's like, oh, that sounds good. Maybe I'll do something like that. I said, and I told him, I said, look, let me give you a fair warning. It's like you know, there's twelve of them, and the way we divided it up, I did every other week, which gave me six, and then the other guys got the other six. I said, and it was almost like you didn't have enough time to even dive into really. You just had to get what you could get out of it and get that nugget that, that, that you could apply to what's going on today. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we've done that. Um, and hopefully we've seen the patterns and we've seen everything, which these people were going through the same thing. I mean, they were like, what's going on? How did we get here? Why is God mad at us? Uh, what can we do to appease God? Mm. How can we get things right? Um, or, you know, are we ever going to see revival? Are we ever going to return to the Lord? What does that mean if that happens? And then ultimately to say, yes, this earth stinks, but <laughs> Messiah is coming. Just like this Messiah was going to come to save these people, the Messiah has come and we're saved because of him, yeah. but he is coming again. Yeah. And how that's going to mesh out and play out and how history is going to have the final say when his story is ultimately told. Um, there's enough hints and pictures in the Bible to, to know that it's either going to be a terrible day if I don't really know him and trust in him, accepted him into my heart and life, or it's going to be that day like these fat calves jumping out of the stall ready to go run through the fields because they're happy and fed, uh, you know, because they were taken care of. Yeah. Um, and so... The ultimate thing is that we yeah, we're in this terrible time, we're in this pandemic, we're in this this holding pattern, which for the foreseeable future may even go on another few months or maybe even another year. Who knows? Right. But there is hope. Yeah. And these people lost hope and and I think the the prophets were trying to get them back to putting their eyes on this future hope that's coming. Mm-hmm. And for us then to live our lives because of all the people out there that have no hope um, that we have the answer for them mm. and once we get to that point where we're able to talk to people hopefully we can say hey how did you cope I mean that's a great question how did you cope with all this Mm-mm. and just let them tell you yeah and then they say well how did you cope and hopefully you know you have the answer yeah. you know I trusted Christ yeah things weren't good I lost loved ones um, you know it was financial strain, all those things. Everything's turned upside down. But through it all, I knew God was right there with me. He comforted me. And and I'm I'm optimistic and happy for the future because I know that, that my 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 life and my family is in his hands. Mm. So I guess that would be kind of like a summation some No, no, I think that, I think that's great. Well, I've enjoyed this, and I'm, I'm looking. This is not the end of Monday Main Point. We're going to continue to do these um, each Monday. So even though this season is kind of drawn to a close, we'll have a new season as we enter into a new year. We wish you the happiest of New Years, and uh, we ask you to join us next week. I will just give you a teaser now. Um, we will be talking about karma, karma and Christianity. And, uh, fellas, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a great discussion. So, uh, come, come back here for that and we'll talk, talk with, uh, talk with you then. So have a great new year. Thanks for joining us, uh, through this, uh, sermon series and, uh, we'll see you next time. So long.